Thank you for listening to the Push Through Podcast. I'm your host, Keisha Reeves. I'm a licensed professional counselor here in Atlanta, Georgia, where I own a group practice specializing in maternal mental health. Here on the podcast, we talk a little bit about everything from pop culture to motherhood, womanhood, parenthood, and everything in between. So sit back, relax, and listen to a quick chat with me. Thank you guys for joining me for another episode of the Push Through Podcast. And I am joined with fellow therapist and mother, Sarah Hightower. And just to give a little background about Sarah, she is a licensed professional counselor. She supports women with postpartum depression, infertility, and pregnancy and infant loss in Atlanta, Georgia. And I was reading through her bio this morning and saw that she is a highly sensitive person, a fellow HSP yes. <laughs> as I am myself. And, yes. and it's so funny because I told my brother what it was and he was like, and you decided to be a therapist. And I was like, I know, right? Right? <laughs> all this stuff. Yes. Um, Sarah has a private practice and she does a lot of work with Black mothers. Thank you, Sarah, for being on the show. Absolutely. Thank you. I am delighted to be here with you. Um, so before we get in the nitty gritty of maternal mental health, tell me a little bit about you, where you originally from. Oh, wow. Way back. Um so, uh, born and raised, first half of my life in Oakland, California. Oh. Yes. And then um, my parents relocated us to Minneapolis um, in mi- early middle school, sixth grade. Yes, sixth grade. Um, and spent the second half of childhood in Minneapolis area. And um, as soon as graduated, um, attended uh, college, ended up in Nashville at Fisk University, um, and then master's at CAU. Nice. So that's yeah. a lot of bouncing around. I would assume coming from the West Coast, Cali, Oakland, to go to Minneapolis had to have been an adjustment. How was that? Quite a bit of an adjustment. It was... <laughs> It was the culture shock for real and, you know, definitely doing processing and therapy in adult years, even been able to name it too as a trauma. Um, So it was quite a culture shock. Um, Minnesota is mostly white. Um, And then coming from, and California and Oakland is like, it's, it's pretty diverse. And so we were always you know, aware of, of the many cultures, um, but where we grew up, just it was primarily Black, primarily Black school, Black church, Black family, and to come from that and, and being completely immersed in Minnesota, and it's cold. Um, yeah. So yeah, it was it was quite the, the culture shock for us. Which I, I would assume must have been um, very welcoming to then go to an HBCU. <laughs> for sure. For sure. For sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. To go from Fisk and then to go to Park. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And somewhere, you know, along the way, because my dad had already moved down here, um, my parents divorced, my dad had moved down here. We were in high school by then. So we had slowly started to, you know, get introduced to Atlanta. 
Um, so definitely by the time we were graduating, it was like, yeah, let's, let's get out of here and <laughs> go down South. No, you know, it's the pros and cons about Atlanta is it does feel like the black Mecca. I love mm-hmm. it. I love it for its cultural diversity of blackness. I love our restaurants and I'm a native of South Georgia, but then also I forget when I leave Atlanta that everywhere isn't like Atlanta <laughs> and, and it's having to even like adjust to that. So I could completely understand how it must've been an adjustment to go from Oakland to then Minneapolis, but at least you arrived here. So that's a Yeah, thing. at least we arrived here for sure. <laughs> For sure. Um, And it always felt home. I think, and that's, you mentioned that piece. I think um, many people I talked to, like we're quickly reminded as soon as you start um, getting out into the city limits, even with the volleyball tournament this weekend up in the Dalton area, we were quickly reminded where we were. (laughs) Now, um, what made you choose mental health and psychology? to go into you're asking such good questions I wasn't uh prepared but delightfully surprised uh, to be able to answer questions um about the 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 journey and the process um but in college I was pre-med I started out as pre-med I wanted to actually go the um gynecologist route yes not too far off Um, but, um, at Fisk, I, um, started off in the biology course and had a wonderful, wonderful, but very, um, hard professor. She didn't play no games. Um, but just, it wasn't my thing. I had started with the calculus and the biology and just quickly learned that it just wasn't my thing and was really disappointed about it. And I remember um, having conversations with my mom about it. And, you know, she um, had encouraged me to, why don't you just take a look at um, and just try it, but just take a look at um, psychology. And so I signed up the next semester for my first, I think it was intro to psychology and fell in love and and like immediately day one. Um, And so that was it. I switched my major over to psychology um, and I wasn't too sure how I wanted to pursue uh, graduate work, but knew that I was at least closer on the psychology path um, than I was with um, biology and pre-med. Um, and so it was, if I graduated in 01, I started the master's program in 2003, no, 2004, I'm sorry, 2004. So it took me a few years to get that figured out. Yeah. Okay. And which, which came first motherhood or the specialty and maternal mental health? Motherhood, motherhood, yeah. So I uh, had my first and I was uh, working in, um, I was post-grad and was working uh, in community mental health. And really just the reward 
I experienced when I could work with other mothers in community mental health and was seeing that um, postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety weren't being um, managed and treated well. Um, I loved just what happened with working with another mother and just that I, I get you thing that happens between mothers. Um, and so by the time I had my second and had com got completely burnt out doing community mental health, um, I came out um, and we just decided, especially with having two young kids, just decided to take a break um, and, and do the stay at home mom thing for a little bit. And I wasn't sure yet what I would go back to. Um, and it was, Lauren was two. Mm -hmm. And plus two, I was, you know, in that window with your um, licensing hours where your time is running out. So I knew it was time for me to get back into the field. I knew that community mental health just was not gonna be it because self-care, HSP, all that stuff. <laughs> Um, that it wasn't sustainable. So that was when I really started to draw on, well, what was it that really sparked my fire? And it was landing in those motherhood pieces. Um, and so that's when I said, okay, this is it. This is what I'm going to do. And so um, that was in 2000, end of 2012, early 2013, um, when I you know, officially started with you know, what they call the private practice route. Um, kind of staking my claim in maternal mental health. Um, and that's when I got involved in a lot of the postpartum support international um, activities and really kind of um, building community. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's how, how it started. Which is wonderful because I know we've talked how one would think because it is such a specific specialization mm -hmm. that, you know, you may not, be full perhaps, but on the flip side, because it's so specialized and there aren't so many people to do that service, right. an overwhelming amount of people who need that help. And a lot of people don't understand how important maternal mental health is and to see a therapist prior to trying to conceive or during pregnancy is, is proactive in your mental health. How was that process for you in like launching the private practice and getting like getting into it also while balancing motherhood for yourself? Mm. I think just looking back, I see it all as a process. It was it was something that I had to learn along the way that the, there wasn't some model that I followed. Um, definitely lots of trial and error. <laughs> um, plenty of whoop. That burns me out. Maybe I need to <laughs> flip the script or slow it down or change the schedule. So definitely it was a, a learning by trial and error. Gotcha. And how, well, going back, so HSP, mm -hmm. for those that are listening who may not know what that is, can you give them, in your, your words, a definition of it? Sure. Um, so HSP, high sensitive person, um, was first 
Well, one of the top researchers will say Elaine Aaron. So that's the, the go-to. That's the one that I often recommend um, to my clients. And so um, it is for those who are more um, sensitive, but it, thinking more along the lines of senses, our five senses sensitive. Um, so HSPs are more prone to become um, overstimulated, overwhelmed. Um, and, you know, so loud noises, um, uh, even bright lights. Um, and that's why uh, there's even a, a higher tendency for um, anxiety and, and trauma, because if we're, we're already looking at it from there's a uh, increased tendency for overstimulation, that also means there's an increased um, tendency for that to, to translate over into anxiety and, and, and trauma, which <laughs> doubly means that we have to um, work uh, even harder to um, have boundaries and, and self-care and, um, and prevent the burnout before the burnout even <laughs> happens. Which is I, like what I was saying is so interesting because especially when you are a mom and you work with moms, like what you said, like you get it and you want to support. And then just being a therapist in general is like a care caregiver type of role of assisting this person while they're on this journey but they're coming to you with all of their traumas and stories and sometimes it's hard not to carry it or that empathy can hit so hard for them um so self-care like you said is is important and, and like what you said even finding boundaries I remember I used to do late evenings up until nine o'clock or Saturday and Sunday appointments and I quickly had to Nip all of that. <laughs> so it was it. That is it. But how how do and I we were talking about that before we got on to record, but how do you manage to take care of yourself or separate the two to be present with your own family? Yeah. Um, I think it's that trial and error thing because I think that even now, after doing it for so long, I still don't have it perfected. Mm -hmm. Um, something may have worked heck even last month but this month my capacity looks a little different so i've got to do 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 something different um you mentioned the scheduling thing that was probably one of the first things that i uh learned in the private practice space was especially because you get the you have more flexibility to to set your schedule and so learning that that um I have a cap on how late I can <laughs> survive in a day, be coherent in a day. Um, and so, you know, that's probably one of the, for me, those are the like non-negotiable mm -hmm. self-care pieces. Um, I can't go last, let's see. I think currently um, my latest is a two o'clock. Oh. I'm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> take off a month or two in the summer mm -hmm. and yeah. you you don't know this but you inspired me and oh I, I took November off I was like me <laughs> preparing Sarah has inspired me <laughs> And I got some inspired by somebody else. So we got to keep the party going and, and, and keep this inspiration. But yeah um 
somebody else I knew did it and had just announced it. And I just, just the audacity and I, I, yes. And so that was last year was the first time I did that. And this year will be the first year that I'm going to, I'm, I'm doing the six weeks. Um, so the schedule, I think the schedule is, like I say, it's, that's one of the easiest ways that, um, I engage in self-care. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to, to be very mindful um, about the schedule piece. Even I'll share even this week. Um, of course, I my school, my kids' school just informed us last Friday about an award ceremony coming up this Friday and had to work to move clients around just to to make that happen to be present um my husband happens to be out of town um traveling uh this week so even just the partner juggling just would not make that work so i think that that's the piece that just you know i'm constantly working with that schedule part the other pieces too um that like i always can add in like you know doing my own acupuncture appointments, the scheduling of, you know, I have Mondays off, right, where I don't see clients. And so it's, you know, sometimes I need down days where I don't have anything scheduled on that Monday. And then other times it's let me, you know, whether it's girlfriend time or the acupuncture appointments, um, my own therapy sessions, um, those things I always can add in. But like I said, I think the most, the easiest, um, ways I'm able to self-care is just with um, managing a schedule that's feels good for me. I love it. Love it. So inspiring. Um, To transition into Black maternal health, um, Mm -hmm. we all both also share a passion for supporting Black birthing parents and Black mothers. And in lieu of it being Black History Month, and you and I were talking about the 1619 Project, and how motherhood for Black mothers looks very different than our counterparts. And our job responsibility is just unlike others that we live amongst. When you are working with a client, in your professional opinion of how you approach it, and you know they've experienced this joy of pregnancy, and are excited, you know, to have this child. And then they have to watch the news and see police brutality or another shooting or mass shooting in the school system. How do you approach it with them? Or how do you help to decrease that anxiety? Because for us, um, perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, we are more at risk and our statistics are much higher because of racism and discrimination and all of those other things that everyone else doesn't have to deal with it. How do you help a mother experience the joy or help them with their mental health in the midst of being an American? Yeah. um, Sensitively, I think just if there was one word, it it is definitely with sensitivity. there's a lot of naming of the both that I try to do that we can name the joy that is here, but that is also alongside the pain and the trauma because the joy, I think a lot of times uh, 
we look at joy or positivity almost as though it's supposed to kind of override and negate the pain. Um, and I, I try to do more of the naming of the both, um, allowing both to, to coexist. Cause that's the reality is that um, even while I'm holding this precious baby of mine and, and feeling the joy that, that you might feel, um, knowing too that we're in the midst of, of another hashtag. Um, and especially too, because a lot of my um, trauma training with somatic experiencing um, really is about acknowledging um, the trauma that is very much in our bodies and very much in our Black bodies. Um, and so to try to negate that or override that and let's just focus on the joy part um, dishonors in some way what what is what is still present very present in our bodies I love that and for those who don't know what that somatic therapy approach is can you explain that a little bit more yeah so it is more about being able to recognize our nervous systems response to trauma. Um, previously, a lot of my trauma training was more on the cognitive level and kind of like the meaning that we make from trauma. Um, but it was uh, Bessel van der Kolk, who but I think I listened to it, one of his interviews um, a while back, and he was one of the first ones that kind of opened my eyes to this idea that you no know, trauma is actually um, in the body. So that that book, The Body Keeps the Score. Um, and so um, with somatic experiencing, um, it's about being able to meet our nervous systems so that we can help our systems to renegotiate um, a, a trauma that it was not able to do at the time of the traumatic event. So fight, flight, or, or freeze, you know, being able to help the body complete um, one of those responses. Um, so a lot of invitations, it, it, it incorporates a lot of invitations of coming into the body um, and gentle invitations, because I think that that's the piece to understand with trauma is that already trauma came in with such, it was an overwhelm to the nervous system. Um, and so with somatic experience, we try to um, move as slowly and gently um, as possible when we're working with the nervous system. So as not to re-traumatize, to, to overwhelm the system all over again. Right. Do you find in the maternal space that that particular approach or intervention is incredibly like useful? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, and I have even come across, because uh, I'm currently completing, there's a BIPOC cohort um that we're completing um the somatic experiencing and so I've been able to connect with um one other um maternal mental health um practitioner and we both were saying just how it's so needed um and I'm you know and you probably know just working with your clients it's 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 not even the trauma that may occur during pregnancy or childbirth, but there's that trauma even, you know, going back to childhood. Um, but absolutely. Um, and even before I got into SC, I really just was struck 
but how much trauma is a part of um, my client's experience. Uh, you know, I can't even say that, that, that I cannot speak about my own and I've got three, but I can't speak about my own reproductive history without um, including the traumas that were present, uh, very present through most of them. Yeah, it's, it's almost as if, it's, it's, it takes you, makes you have a different perspective about people in general, because I almost feel like who hasn't experienced some form of trauma at some point in their life, and then how trauma then shapes your brain functioning, your reaction, your communication, your socialization, just in your, how almost like you kind of take a pivot in the life that you could have lived. And it, it, it was maybe like a slight pivot, but it was just this change in your existence. And even with Black maternal health, I know that there's clients who may have experienced trauma or if it was generational trauma. And then it shows up in their parenting styles and their attachment. And they may immediately have like anxious parenting where, you know, I don't, I will, I don't want my child to go to this school. I don't want them to, you know, be left alone with these type of people or, or just anything and just very hypervigilant in it and how that sits with them and impacts mm-hmm. them. So I think that that's wonderful. That yeah. You yeah. You're naming it all the things I, and it said that, that I've come to, to accept that, that there is no human being um, walking this earth that, that does not have trauma. Um, and so what that does, how that can reframe how we're working with our clients. Cause I think that it was more about, again, that cognitive level, um, or, you know, if they didn't have like fit the DSM criteria, right. Um, but coming at it more from this approach allows, um, more space to just meet each nervous system where they are, um, and they would say too a lot that like two people can experience the same traumatic event, but just have uh, their nervous systems respond differently. Um, and you mentioned too that piece just with the generational trauma. That's another piece, right? That just is like naming that 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 is very much much present. Um, we've we've spent a good bit of time um, in the training uh, with somatic experience and holding space for how that generational trauma um, shows up. Yeah. When we talk about like black maternal health and, um, you know, the uniqueness of black mothers and their journeys, um, there's been like a, a surge of black women in therapy um, shout out to therapy for black girls <laughs> and um, being able to really like do the work and get the help and, and have healing begin from a therapeutic standpoint. And this is a very complex question. So you may not okay. even, okay. Okay. even like resolve everything, but what do you feel like is still left to be done? You know, like what, mm. what other work do you think can be done? Cause I think you know, for sure, we're becoming even more educated. We're getting more trainings. Um, groups are being offered. We met through the birth center. The Mocha Mom group was, you know, created. It's virtual, so it creates access. It's free. 
Um, but then we'll have situations like the overturn of Roe versus Wade and how that impacts Black mortality and birth rates. And then we had the incident with Emory, you know, uh, Emory Midtown in the TikTok <laughs> and um, their icks or whatnot. And, you know, we often say like, oh, we'll choose a, a provider that looks like you. A majority of the providers on that TikTok were Black providers. So what do you feel like can be done? <laughs> Yeah. Answer, Sarah. Stop, stop. I know. Just hearing the question, I'm really sitting with that. Um, it's a big question. And I think um, that's one of those where if I get too lost in that question, I start to feel the weight of the heaviness. Um, so I don't know if there is any one answer. Um, maybe, and maybe because there's so many answers, it's not any one. It's, 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 it is the continue, continuous chipping away at, at policy reform, right? Um, it's the continuous chipping away at trauma healing, um, both individually and collectively, um, and then, you know, it's how all of these things intersect, because even, you know, the health of, of Black families, um, right, is, is dependent on, on so many of these things. And then, so that's why, I, like, when I think about that, like, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger, because um, I think it's so many things. Um, for me, um, it starts at just doing what I can, yeah. um, which, you know, one day it might be, it's showing up and holding space for my clients and, uh, you know, holding space for the healing of trauma. Mm -hmm. um, and another day too, uh, it might be how uh, we're all showing up, me and my, my Black family is showing up and, and creating joy for ourselves. Um, so I just think it's, it's, it's lots of things. It's all the things. Um, yeah, but just, I'm going to keep sitting on that question now. <laughs> I, I think that that is a great point. I think it's focusing on what you can do. And then also in your own personal life to experience the joy. There was this, I think it was like during Black Lives Matter. When mm -hmm. said she had made this post. And she was like, um, being Black sometimes can feel like an incident happens. You watch it on television. You process it. Either you react physically or, or verbally, or you sit with it in your thoughts and ruminate it. And then you begin the cycle all over again in a yeah. month. And I, and I think that that's so like relatable, but I do feel like sometimes to not get caught up in trauma or the secondary trauma that's going on and to be able to just think about what it is that you can do and how you can take care of yourself. Yeah. 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 They're interrelated. Right. So even me showing up in my body actually holds space for how others can show up in, in theirs and do their own healing. Um, but then too, that there's this individual and collective dance that's happening all together. Um, 
And, you know, it's, you know, so now my brain is like thinking of all the things, it's the education, it's the policy reform, it's the, you know, making sure that there's, there's equal access to, um, you know, whether it's medical needs or economic, there's just, it's, it's all the things. And it's also, I guess, the macro and the micro working together at the same time. Right. And then it's also like, we all can't be good at or do all things. And things that we can do, that we have the capacity to do well, we can focus on that one thing. Even just getting the being in the BIPOC somatic training um, or cohort is a contribution to the yeah, yeah, yeah. And you and I have had conversations previously about just that what that capacity looks like and having to do those capacity checks. Um, I had a professor even in my undergrad and she said that she even learned early on just this whole, like, I'm going to save everybody and realizing eventually that, you know, if I can show up and be with that one person and make a difference, that, that, that that's huge enough. My um, final couple of questions in relation to your own motherhood and how you were able to, I think that just to go back a little bit, there are some people who have very pleasing or or wonderful motherhood experiences. And that could be because they may have had several family members around them and they had, you know, no complicated birth and, you know, providers were excellent, great health, great health of baby. And it could have been excellent. And for others, it could have been very different. And for me, I had started my certification for PMAT prior to becoming a mom. But after I had my first, I was like, oh, yes, I'm going all in. I had postpartum depression and anxiety. I um, was isolated. I you know, was laid off from my job, finances were tight, was away from family. And being from the South, coming from a Black family, there were family members that were like, you'll be fine, you don't got time to be sad, just just Mm -hmm. keep keep going. Even though I was a clinician, I didn't have anyone like really supporting a doula or I hadn't set up therapy prior to. And, um, a lot of things as far as like what parenting looked like for me and my husband wasn't discussed prior to all of those things of like figuring out this postpartum plan. What do you feel like you would have done different or implemented for yourself mm. now that you are on the other side? During your- wow. <sighs> if, there were, if you would implement anything, because it could have been a case. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> um doula support. I would have definitely just because we are also, um, you know, we are away from family. Um, so I think in those early, early days, um, just going back, I think definitely implementing the, the doula support, um, would have been, um, helpful. Um, there's a lot more of, because I even think about just the 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 planning, and I, I did all the planning. I think I overplanned. Um, 
but I think it's with that hindsight and knowing that there's no way for you to have it um, planned to a T. Um, but I think that that's one of the, the, the biggest things that I look back because it was that village support. And although we did have family come in, um, you know, for that, um, oh, you know, postpartum, early weeks of postpartum, we did have, you know, that, that time. Um, but I still think that just having some doula support, I even think now too, cause I had hospital births. I think now too, like, Hmm, I wonder if home birth, um, would have been one of the things that I would have, would have enjoyed. Um, so yeah, I think that just, there's a different time too, from when I first started having, um, I don't know if you've seen that too, but things have changed so much, um, you know, since I've had my very first in 2007. Um, how old are your kids? Let's see, 15, 12, and 6. Oh. Yeah. A nice spacey. Yeah. 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 That last one kind of just really, (laughs) there's some, some, some space in that one, but, um, but yeah, it's a good, it's a good space. We're good spread here. Yeah. So I think, you know, I think about those, those other things that I would have um, put in there, but it was that, I think that family support that we missed the most. Um, Even now when my husband and I talk about that, that that's, you know, and even when we think about like what, how we might be able to help our kids if they ever get to, to that place of having their children, but really wanting them to have um, that support because it was so hard to do it without. Um, But two, we did what we could. And that was why even with coming out of work, um, it was tight. It was really tight. Um, But still we felt as though that that was the best decision that we could make um, for our, our, our family. Um, So yeah, just taking into consideration those things. I think that that is like, it's, it was that family village support that, if I could do something different and change, especially in consideration, right, of the postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety experiences um, that I had, that it, it would be that one thing. Do you feel like with each birth, was your postpartum experience easier or they were just all unique and different, each of them? <laughs> <laughs> the um the first one I I would say it was postpartum anxiety that I would not have I didn't know what what it was um I thought I was just doing it that this is what motherhood is it's just anxiety um and so by number two I think my second one was probably I had the best postpartum experience. I had just come out of um, the community mental health and was was no longer working. We just so happened to be in a really good space um, financially. Um, And that last one, actually, in my toughest postpartum depression was actually after this last one. So I kind of was just all over the place with all of them. Yeah, gotcha. Okay, okay. That's good to know. And then take, taking into consideration too, that I had the the I had a pregnancy loss in between pregnant in between those spaces. So I do think that that played a, a big role too with that. Right. I think that sometimes people have the the conception that 
if the first one, if whatever experience you had from the first one, it can get better as you go along because you may be like more aware. But to your point, life is still happening in between yes. and after. And yes. that also contributes or impacts what that is. Yeah. Yep, I definitely, because I remember they uh, addressed that in that PMADS training, right? About how there's no magic formula for how it works. And so that was definitely how I experienced it too. But that, yeah, that kind of misconception that it, it can be that way. Um, and for some, it can. Um, it just wasn't that way for me. Now, last question for mm-hmm. someone who does want to get started with maternal mental health and perhaps that they've not done therapy before or they have, but it looked different. Maybe they were, they went previously in college um, for a separate issue. What is it? Because I think some people also don't get like what it is. Like, oh, well, am I just supposed to come if I have postpartum depression? I know. And I don't have that. Or <laughs> what What advice can you offer um, to let them know what it is like to have maternal mental health counseling and what they Yeah. Um, I tell my own people that motherhood doesn't exist in a vacuum, right? Motherhood is, is kind of overlapping with all the lanes. Um, so even though you might be coming in initially for, um, to address some maternal mental health issues, whether you're coming in during pregnancy, um, or postpartum, um, we might first, address that, but we also very much are um, tending to all the other other pieces. You had mentioned, I think earlier, like the attachment issues that, that come into play, the relationship stuff, you know, and then too, like, um, especially with how we work with uh, PMADS, it's paying attention to all of those risk factors. And so, you know, whether it's um, relationship pieces, whether it's career pieces and, and how that relates to um, your financial support, like all of these are, are risk factors. Um, so it's tending to all of the, all of the things. Um, I'll even have um, a couple of clients over the years where we'll get working together, um, whether it's um, to address um, pregnancy pieces or postpartum pieces, and then they'll get to a really good place, right? Um, and, you know, we'll stop therapy for a little bit and um but then life happens right and then they come back and then one of the questions is well I don't know if you do anything other than just the maternal mental health (laughs) and and then that's the thing that I'll have to remind like no like that is that is one thing and that might be what gets you in the door but maternal mental health like is that umbrella and it's so many things that are connected to it um that's i mean again that's why it's such a public health issue because it's it intersects with so many things absolutely that is so well said (laughs) perfectly um how can people find you where can they go to your website yeah um so my website is sarahhightower.com and um, that probably be the easiest way to find out more about me. Um, I do have a Psychology Today profile as well as a profile um, posted on Therapy for Black Girls. But the website probably would be the best place to start. 
do you have a social media? I do do Instagram, but I am so in and out with it. Um, but I think I'm Sarah Hightower LPC on Instagram. Every now and again, I, I kind of just do it in spurts. It's that HSP thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get it. Well, thank you so much, Sarah, for being on the show. This has been a great conversation. And, and thank you for all the work that you do. Absolutely. Thank you, Keisha. I don't want nothing but you. Getting what you need, even if it